Well, it's now that time in the show when we hear from leaders in the city, learn more about who they are, what they do, and what their thoughts are on the state of Toronto. Uh, my guest today is Dr. Cindy Waller. She is a psychologist, expert in human behavior, and an executive coach with experience serving Fortune 100 businesses. Welcome, Dr. Waller, to Toronto this weekend. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me. I'm delighted. Oh, my pleasure. So not every executive coach is also a psychologist. Does that give you a bit of an edge? I believe it does. So I trained originally as a clinical psychologist, had a practice for many years here in Toronto. And by understanding what motivates us, what drives us, different personality types, it does give me that deeper understanding to help leaders at all levels in an organization. So you've been in uh, leadership development for almost 40 years, as you said, a lot of experience. How has the approach to leadership changed over the years? That's a fantastic question. So when I first started, those who had leadership coaching, executive coaching, leadership development, it was more remedial in nature for when there were um, challenges in the workplace with leaders, then they would be assigned an executive coach. Now we believe that because it's such a complex world, such a complicated role, that high potentials, emerging leaders do get a coach to help them with their development because it's not easy to understand your stakeholders, how to partner, how to negotiate, how to problem solve. So what is the key to good leadership in 2023? It's a great question. And so first off, I think one of the most important traits or leadership traits is agility. So ability to adapt and organizations are constantly saying they're going through a transformation. And the way I look at it, it's a fluid process with technology, electrification. Organizations will be going through transformation probably for the rest of our lifetime. So can you adapt to changes in the marketplace, the economy, technology, and to what employees want and what employees need to help with their well-being as well. And so while you're coaching uh, leaders, Dr. Waller, you know, one thing that I've heard from a number of uh, executive coaches that I've chatted with in my, you know, my career is that at the end of the day, leaders are just like everybody else. They struggle with finding kind of their footing in an organization. You talk about change. That can be very hard for a leader to to implement change. What is that one kind of struggle that you see across the board when it comes to leaders fully being able to embody their leadership in an organization? I love this question. So it is about the ability to read your audience. So You may come into the room with a passionate point of view and you see your point of view as right. And it's not that it isn't right, but perhaps there are a whole bunch of other views that are also right. So your ability to read the room, watch body language, see if people are aligned and then pivot if they're not or if they're confused and be inclusive in your discussion, in your dialogue, because when we are inclusive, then we include diverse points of view and that leads us to more robust and richer decision-making. Does a leader need to know everything? I hope not, because leaders who know everything are narcissistic. They love the reflection of themselves in the mirror. And if you don't know everything, it means that you come to the table with an open mind and the interest in learning. And if you're a student of learning, then it makes you much more flexible and adapt to your environment. 
How do you see the uh, environment change and maybe the culture of an organization change when a leader says, I don't know everything? I admit I don't know everything and I need this group of people in order to move this organization forward. It's extremely inspiring. It's motivating. It's inclusive. And the more senior you are in the organization, we hope that leader doesn't know everything because they now are no longer involved in the operational uh, day-to-day execution of targets, of objectives, but they surround themselves with experts who they then take the data and help guide the strategy for the organization. So it's very embracing and it is a very motivational leadership to work with and for. I'm he- What I'm hearing is that a, a good leader is someone that listens and responds to what a team needs, what their team needs. Absolutely. I think you're spot on. Listening means that you're incorporating a perspective and, as mentioned, that you're changing your viewpoint. And then everybody has a voice. You may not necessarily agree with that voice. You may not, as an employee, get your way. But when I ask employees what's important to them, they always say it's about being heard. I heard you say that great leaders show empathy. Explain that to me. And especially, I think, Dr. Waller, coming out of the pandemic, I think even more, you know, there's, you know, people are just still grappling with all of the collateral damage that came out of the pandemic, both emotionally, you know, I mean, we saw, uh, we have still seen, you know, heights of, of loneliness, people feeling still very lonely, um, just even trying to discover where they're supposed to go in their career. So talk to me about the power of empathy in leadership. It's extremely powerful. And you're right. Employees now more than ever are seeking empathy. And it used to be many years ago that when employees showed up for their job, we said that we should they should leave their challenges at the door. And when I think about that now, it seems absurd that, that was a recommendation because we all come from an ecosystem, a family, personal lives, other pressures, challenges. And so organizations that understand that, that are sensitive to that, then you will work harder because you are seen as a whole person. You are seen as a human being from a context that the organization, your boss, your manager cares about and gives you room if in fact you arrive at work and you're not at your best and you are distracted or you've made errors or maybe you failed at something, that leader who shows empathy gives you a break, allows you to accommodate what might be going on in your personal life. And in gratitude for that, those employees will work even harder for you. Yeah, because they they feel valued, they feel seen. Let's talk a little bit about the future of work. The world has, as I said, has changed significantly since the pandemic. Hybrid is now here to stay. Uh, Many talk about making, uh, you know, the time in the office intentional, right? We hear that from leaders a lot, that they're trying to make the time that, that they do want employees in the office to be intentional and meaningful for employees as opposed to just doing tasks that they would normally do at home, What other changes can you see happening as we assess what is necessary to be an effective, for any organization to be effective? Sure. I think the the foundation for all this has to do with trust. Mm -hmm. And the hope is, is that as employees 
went through the pandemic, they were able to demonstrate to their organizations that they worked hard and they worked even harder because there were distractions at home, whether it was children, whether you're a single parent, whether it was elderly parents, other uh, challenges in their life that they were able to work with or integrate. And so the idea is, as you say, hybrid is here to stay. And when you work, where you work, um, should be less important if you are able to accomplish your deliverables. And so if, for example, my organization gives me um, holiday weekend Fridays, half the day off, and says to me that you could work five hours a day, does it matter if I start at eight in the morning or at noon, as long as I put in the time and accomplish my tasks? I think when you talk about meaningful work, so when you are in the office, it's about are you there because you are in meetings that you need partnership, that that collegiality to work through problems or to even socialize. So there's two elements to it. So when you talk about isolation, it's about going into the office and being able to socialize and just share information that's not necessarily work-related, but maybe just things about your life that you want to talk about that excite you or that interest you, as well as problem-solving together. I I do wonder, you know, are we going to look back? I mean, I, I said it, hybrid is here to stay. But I do wonder if, you know, 15, 20 years from now, we're going to look back and lament the things we have lost with hybrid. I mean, it has hopefully brought a bit of more work-life balance. We've realized that there are a lot of tasks that can be done uh, at home. Uh, But we also, you know, we are seeing, as I said, some of the results of the pandemic has been a sense of loneliness. And I think about jobs where you can be isolated and not have that connection with your coworkers and you know it might be one or two days but is that necessarily enough and are we going to be looking at these empty uh towers in our downtown cores and eventually coming back to them so it's a good question it's hard to know you know 10 20 years from of now yeah. where we'll all be but but to Put this in perspective, I want to look at this way. So there are individuals, employees who have always worked remotely for global organizations Mm -hmm. where they may have an office here in Toronto, but head offices in Berlin, Germany, or somebody else, somewhere else in the globe. And so for some percentage of the population, they've always worked that way. um, And it would be their choice. They're also within that When we look at temperament, if we understand different personality types, there are those individuals who are relieved and like the idea that they can work by themselves. They feel they're more productive. They don't feel that they're distracted. And this is really um, something they're very grateful for. For those, as you're suggesting, who need more interaction because their ideas are stimulated by other conversation, Um, then they are going to have to work harder around establishing how much they they are in the office. And there are a certain percentage of employees who um, organizations that I work for, who even though it's hybrid, they are there full time for the very reason that you're talking to. They just like the energy of people, even if their own coworkers aren't in the office, they like being in the floor, uh, in the building, 
where they have that interaction and that dialogue, or they're meeting colleagues from other offices or other businesses. So there's a way to work with that. And where it lands up in the future is hard to say, but I'm guessing it'll still probably be a mix. Of course. And the crystal ball question is always the hard question, right? But I, I, <laughs> I, but I Yeah. But I think, uh, I think it goes beyond just those who like being among others. And I think it, I think my question is, will this serve society? Well, will we be looking back again, crystal ball, but will we be looking back 15, 20 years from now saying we actually, that was a detriment to our society because we've lost that that essential, you know, way of communicating with each other, um, socializing with each other, being amongst each other. uh, And that shouldn't just, it shouldn't be taken lightly. So my challenge back would be this, that in our pursuit of hopefully being balanced humans and being full humans, that our identity is not strictly relegated to how we make a living or our workplace. For so sure. there are many peoples um, who during the pandemic took up other activities and pursuits, I being one. So for example, in because I wasn't commuting as much and my schedule was different, I decided on a whim to start my own cookie business. I knew mm. nothing about Instagram. Um, and if you want to follow me, it's at Bite Me Cookie. And so I believe that it's an opportunity for people to pursue other passions, other interests. Um, And whether we get stimulation from the workplace, you are right. We need to have engagement. Otherwise, we run the risk of being isolated. But there are other pursuits that you could be doing or joining or being part of that allow us to have that. I love it. I love that you started a, a cookie business. This is amazing. And and again, as you said, you had no idea about that world, but started something fresh and new. And we did see that out of the pandemic. I think there are some that went the the opposite route, right? We've seen a heightened uh, concern around mental health and things of like that. And I think that's where my line of questioning ha- has gone. It's interesting. And I was just reading uh, an article in the Toronto Star about the future of work. And uh, they stated that uh, foot traffic is is only back to about 47% in the downtown core of what it was uh pre-pandemic. Thoughts on the city right now? And as we're in the throes now of this mayoral election, uh, what are some of the issues that are top of mind for you? Great question. Well, I love our city very much and I love the diversity of the city. I think the one one or two things that are top of mind for me has to do with, um, of course, the environment, energy conservation, and just getting around the city. So as we continue to build condominiums, other structures, um, then as you see, the traffic is extremely dense. So um, the irony is, although we have less foot traffic, um, you know, on the financial core or in the business core, we still have density of cars on the road. And so that would be a concern of mine around urban planning. How do we navigate so that we can enjoy our free time um, and get to green spaces or other areas of the city that we can enjoy. What are your thoughts of the mayoral race right now? Are there any uh, platforms, positions that have really piqued your interest uh, so far? Well, I'm interested in the safety and well-being of 
our city. And so we definitely have a mental health challenge. There are more unhoused individuals, um, sadly, unfortunately, on our streets, uh, individuals that, and as you've seen, um, where there is seems to be random acts of violence around individuals who are, you know, mentally, emotionally unwell. So this would be one of my key um, platforms that I'd be interested in supporting and and um, seeing hopefully things rectified. Have you heard anybody yet that you feel like it has honed in on on those concerns a little bit more as we look at the 102 candidates that are running for mayor? <laughs> well, that's a great point. Now that we have 102 candidates, it's very hard for me. And it's hard, I think, probably for many of us to really hone in. And so I guess as we get closer, um, it'll hopefully things will become more acutely sharpened and I'll, I can better answer that maybe in a, in a bit. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Cindy Weller, for your time today. It was such a pleasure to hear your thoughts on uh, leadership, uh, the future of work, and uh, just how do we grapple with moving forward and making, uh, I think, work environments a lot more effective in, in as we as we move forward. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.